0: From Flourish DX, this is the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. With workplace mental health becoming a safety prerogative, this is the source of information on psychological injury prevention and health promotion.
1: Hi, and welcome to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. My name is Jason Van Shee, and I'm one of the hosts of the show. The aim of the podcast is to rapidly increase the knowledge and application of psychological health and safety in workplaces worldwide. To help with this, we're regular guests from around the world who are leading the way in this important area. But before I introduce our guest and topic for today, allow me to introduce my co-host, Joel Mitchell. How are they, Joel?
0: Um, I'm okay. We've had um a lot of technical difficulties getting started with this call. So um I'm going to suggest that we forego the preamble and get straight on with the guest. No. No.
1: No, no. I mean, I've been getting a lot of um uh, pushback, I think, lately. Uh Therese Granger uh, mentioned today that, you know, uh, she was sharing an episode that we did with Francois uh, mm. recently uh and she's like skip the 6 minutes cuz that's when the podcast starts i'm like well what about all the good stuff like that joel and i talk about at the it's beginning it
0: old, it it is gold. Is all right um i was driving my car on the weekend mm-hmm. i'd been driving for about 10 minutes and suddenly out of nowhere a bee flew up out of under my seat
1: well you out of nowhere but
0: well i assume it was from under my seat it came yeah. from somewhere
1: yeah yeah
0: in the car but all the windows were up yeah um it was a it wasn't. I hadn't been doing anything anywhere where, like, I wasn't in a field full of flowers or anything. <laughs> I went from my apartment down to the down to you, my car. Year, <laughs> I, did, I Yes, yeah. I frolicked through a, a field of flowers on my way. Yeah, like, the sound
1: of music was kind of like that a movie bit, based on your life. Basically,
0: yeah. basically my life. Yeah, without the Nazis. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that was um. A little bit terrifying. Yeah. Because I'm also a bit allergic to bees. So if it had stung me. Um, it could have been problematic while I was driving, especially if it stung me sort of around my face or neck area.
1: So did you pull over, open window?
0: I, um, I was kind of in the middle of a road, so I wound my driver's side window down and just kind of leaned to the side and it was trying to get out through the windscreen, which obviously, stupid B, that's not how you get out of a car. Mm. Um, but yeah, fortunately it just kind of found its way through to the, the window and escaped, but, um, Yeah. Don't know how it came to get into the car and um, yeah, I'm just glad that I didn't, A, get stung in the neck or B, crash or both.
1: Yeah, yeah. We'll uh, we'll investigate further. We'll try and identify how the bee got in.
0: Um, I don't know how you're going to do that. I'm
1: going to handball it like I do to most things. ask Jack. Jack, well, Jack
0: is, I mean, if anybody can be a giant creep and find out things, it's Jack, so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Well, now we can introduce. All you. right. All right. right. Are you happy now? Yeah, I happy.
0: I'm thank
1: happy. Okay. All right. So uh, this person has uh, over 25 years' experience in the local government sector and has served on the board of several mental health and men's health charities. He's a director of local government professionals, New South Wales, and manager governance and customer service at Wollongong City Council. A warm welcome to the podcast, Todd Hopwood.
2: Hello.
1: Oh, thank you for having me.
2: Both of you. Thank you.
1: Yeah, um, Todd, it's, uh, you know, it's great having you on. This is going to be a little bit of a different episode to what we've done um, previously, but, um, yeah, really excited to to have you on and uh, hopefully we can have a bit of fun with this one.
0: Um, so, Todd, what podcast do you like to listen to?
2: I've got a, a list of about, like most things chaotic in my life, I've got 50 in my library and I'll binge on two or three and then get sick of them and then binge. So at the moment... The free that I'm listening to are um, "Getting Curious" by Jonathan Van Ness, who's the host of Queer Eye. So he has a podcast that's just completely random. He thinks of a topic and just gets an expert. So um, he's had, you know, someone killer whales on, you know, history of World War Two. The um, you just mentioned bees before about bees having sex, but the sex life of bees. So there's a a wide range. You never know what you're going to get in that. So that's a good zone out type. Um, educational podcast um i like a bit of optimism by simon sinek um that's just to keep the you know into the traditional not traditional you know, ways of management thinking and all that and try not to fall in the traps of particularly in my sector of thinking like a public servant and you know managing by policy and process so keep resetting externally and then um i'm a bit of a u.s politics tragic so i love a um a podcast called Useful Idiots, um, which I love the title. That's what drew it to me. Didn't know it was about politics. Hmm. Um, But it's basically doesn't like either side of politics, which is, you know, America's so polarising. You know, they've got topics every week, why Republicans suck, why Democrats suck. You know, isn't that weird? Isn't that interesting type stuff? So it's just, yeah, basically highlighting US politics, what it is in reality. So, yeah, very funny and very amusing. Yeah. So that's my mm. current
1: story. It seems to be a lot more dramatic than Australian politics.
0: It does seem that way, yeah. Mm. Don't see anybody biting into an onion in US politics, though, a raw <laughs> no, onion. No,
1: or eating a sausage roll. Sideways. Sideways, yeah. A hot dog, yeah. yeah hot dog.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, the,
0: big, the big issues that we – The big issues in Australia, how do you eat things properly? Mm. Yeah. Heal <laughs> the onion first and probably cook it. <laughs> <laughs> Um tell us about your professional career, please, Todd.
2: Um so I'm a career public servant, but I see that as a, a good thing. I you know, fly the flag for public service as a you know a worthwhile endeavor and using our you know corporate and management skills to actually you know help the community. So um I found a, a home in local government, been in local government about twenty five, twenty-five years. Um for that, leaving high school, while doing union, you know, just odd jobs, bounced around, did retail management, you know, worked you know, um, in lots of different places, but then ended up you know in a government job and then in local government by accident, and that's how most people land in local government. It's either the biggest employer in town or you fall into it. And then in my career, like in governance and risk management, you certainly no one grows up going, I want to be a governance manager in a local council mm-hmm. because it's um it's a very unique and boutique um side of the business you know we basically um got to learn the skills of a company secretary as such you know we run the corporate side of the the business but also dealing with politicians councillors mayors and you know we've got like 150 pieces of legislation we have to run under so um being a jack of all trades and hopefully mastering some is the art of being a a governance manager because you've got to deal with the problems as they come up in any of those 150 areas. So. I've progressed well in my sector, probably because I'm fairly good at being a jack of all trades. Probably, hopefully, mastering some. Um, like I said, so um, yeah, I've worked in probably six or seven councils, some small, um, some quite quite large, or metropolitan type councils, and um, um, yeah, very very different each council, but a lot of things are the, the same too. So um, now I'm on the the board of, as you said, of LG professionals. So that's the um, Uh, professional management association like a CPA equivalent in local government sort of things on the board they're just trying to um guide the the sector in a um you know in a professional way and one of the things I stood you know uh, to get on the board for was to push uh, as we're going to talk about today about you know how we manage people um and that stuff and and having workplaces that are you know caring in a mentally safe way for for people so that gave me a chance to sort of get in into a um, a different area to try and influence our our sector a little bit. So yeah, that's not the brief snapshot of my career so far. Yeah, great. I'm
0: a former public servant myself, so I certainly um see the value and um the importance of public service in Australia. So good on you.
1: Definitely. Thank you. Yeah, reformed public servant.
0: <laughs> well, reform suggests that I am anti-public service, which is not the case. Okay. I'm just a former public servant.
1: Okay. Well, t- well, We'll go with that potato potato <laughs>
0: um
1: so todd one of the things that drew uh my attention to you was uh your work on on linkedin um uh, i use linkedin very frequently as uh, many people on the podcast to be aware of i think me- most people who come across the, the podcast probably have found out about it because of, of linkedin um and you know there's different ways that people can advocate for mental health right and you're using yeah. linkedin really successfully to do that um we'll talk about some of the, the posts that you've done and why they might be successful but um how did you find yourself uh, i guess
2: advocating for uh, workplace mental health as a non-mental health expert it's a very strange journey i didn't set out to be a advocate or some people prefer to the term around oh you're like a linkedin influencer which is like a nightmare for me mm-hmm. like, <laughs> nothing against influencers but i hate the hate it so it came about in a in a weird way like um personally Um, I've been a lifetime carer for a family member um, with significant mental health challenges, always had personal interests, Um, um, you know, raising a child who's got mental health challenges and going through hospital systems and different things like that. Um, Through that process, I self sort of um, created a a stigma for it, didn't talk about it. You know, your kids, you've got to send the best message for them so you don't talk to people about what they're going through or what you're going through because you don't want people to look at you kids negatively, not that anyone ever did, so I spent years and years not talking about um, the challenges my son was going through, challenges the family were going through, so you basically put up walls to everyone at at work. Um, unfortunately, got very, very good at that, so you could have two distinct lives, chaos going on at home, but what I, um, after 10, 15 years, I had a, a marriage fall apart after that, it's probably from Putting up all those barriers so as a bit of a self journey i thought i've got to work out how to not have those barriers up as an automatic um thing in my life so i came across a concept on linkedin um a gentleman by the name of rob stevenson in england talked about putting a, a what he calls a form score writing your mental health score on the um on a wall at work every day which i still do every day you can see i've got columns behind me with whiteboard paint on them so I graffiti on there and I just started doing that as a concept to bring down my own barriers to actually acknowledge to people when you're having a a bad day I just advised when I write a low score because I've got a great team they'll come in and you know how you're going and rally around you which you know some people would know when you that's the last thing you want when you're going through things as a male with the instinct of putting up the barriers so it sort of started like that and then a progression from that is oh, maybe I should post about it online because I was trying. about how can I be more open about it but I'm an introvert at the same time and don't really want to talk to people so I want to be open about it but in a selfish way not have them talk back to me about what I'm going through um, as a first step um, that was why I got onto LinkedIn and started talking about you know challenges in workplace and at first it was you know I'd talk about just straight up you know mental health challenges like you know the, the difficulties of an introvert in the workplace and they were quite Minor, you know, and 50 people would look at a post type stuff, but I was doing it as a outlet type way because, you know, I was trying to get myself to be more honest in the workplace as well about those things. Um, and over time, that just sort of developed. I talked about different topics, you know, follower accounts started to, um, to follow from that and, um, you know, people putting lots of comments on there and then chatting to me through DMs about challenges they're going through so you could see it was starting to have a have a positive impact and people were getting help um you know after reading some of my posts so that just sort of spurred me on to to do that not to be a you know advocate as such but just to get that general messaging going you know and that was probably three or four years ago and then that sort of evolved into probably about 18 months ago two years ago actually posting regularly i just did it as things came up or if i went for a run and i was you know thought of something or I saw something in a workplace I didn't like. I'd post about it, but then um, about yeah, 18 months ago, I decided to like post two or three times a week and just think about topics and things I'm seeing in workplace, but also just straight mental health um, posts as well from a, um, a lived experience and a cared experience type, type stuff. So it's sort of bount- bounced around and evolved into a, a thing now. Um, now I get invited onto podcasts and have been invited to speak at conferences which is interesting I see it as part of my development being an introvert by nature so I have to be an extrovert at work but I love to just turn all that off and happily not talk to people for a day or two you know go go bush and hike and all that sort of stuff so um, I still see it as part of my development to be out there and talking about these things but it doesn't get easier so I've been putting my score on the wall for four years, and if I put a four out of ten up there, I still dread, all right, here come the nice people, which sounds <laughs> weird. Um, but then I've got to talk about my stuff. So that, I do it more and I challenge myself to do it, but interestingly, um, that hasn't got much more comfortable. So I've got the barriers down. I choose to talk about it, but I'm still not comfortable. Mm. You know, it's not what I do. You know, some people are quite, Yeah, you know, they open about their emotions and all that, so I do it, and it's, it's hard work me sometimes but it's um I choose to do it because you know I had lifelong friends at former workplaces where I worked for 15 years who said I didn't know when i gonna start talking about you had all this going on for 15 years in your life and um you know difficult circumstances and we would have helped no one would have had any issues so you know it sort of made me think is there people out there the same that no one told me there was a stigma about mental health I didn't have a bad experience after talking about it I just didn't do it. So, and then when I talked, started talking online, and then did a talk at Are You Okay Day at work, and you know, ten people came up after and said going through the exact same thing. Yeah, and it's good to see you know people connected. And then, how did you get help for your kids and that sort of stuff? It sort of went All right. I've started a thing now, and it sort of became a a journey to try and um, improve mental health awareness, and then sort of evolved into very much the workplace angle. That's where I see, you know, I'm not a mental health expert. I've had, you know, 20 plus years of lived and caring experience, but not, not trained in any way um, on the, um, psychology or anything like that. But it became, you know, I could see from my experience and awareness of how things in general impact on people, just how damaging workplaces can be, how damaging, you know, programs with good intentions but bad delivery you know all that sort of stuff and just you know sort of started calling out just better ways of of doing things um not not saying i'm a perfect manager or my workplace is a you know perfect workplace some of the things we post about are just things that got wrong myself and you know you see impacts and all that so um yeah it's just sort of evolved now to be a quasi well not quasi it's about the impacts of the um the workplace and they're the sort of posts that do take off the most mm. um you can do stuff with views and just say you know bosses are horrible and just go yeah yeah don't we all hate bosses and that's an easy <laughs> way to get there's a there's a series you know a cohort of discontent in there so um in linkedin um but you know, i try and make all of my posts about positive actions or what a manager can do to you know take away an issue or an impact on stuff or just make them aware of impact some of them you know I just talk about the impacts of how introverts you know get along in the office and things they need just to um get by you know flexible working you know talking about flexible working and how it can you know there's the in office out office debate, but someone who actually has to have a deep breath after every conversation with someone, the benefits of working home for that person can far outweigh you know the value for a manager just being able to see their boss so yeah just trying to get people to look at different ways of thinking about um mental health in the workplace other than just someone might have a mental health issue what's our program say in response Mm. type stuff to actually think about situations not programs as such yeah
1: yeah and so that that's a real interesting journey um uh, I know many people who have that lived experience of either themselves or, like you say, you've also got that family uh, lived experience uh, as well of, of mental health challenges, uh, and they might get very focused on on that. Um, where you've obviously traversed is thinking, well, you know, that's my experience. Um, I can see that when we manage work better, then that can actually have a positive impact, regardless of whether people are going through mental health challenges or not, right? Yep. So it's really um really cool i mean that's what our podcast is all about right let's make work better uh because we know then it benefits everyone regardless of whether where they sit on the mental health uh continuum um interesting you brought up rob stevenson i've met rob uh over in london uh before he's a very yep. uh, enigmatic uh, character uh he is a bit of an introvert as well despite how yep. you know public you know he is about different things Uh, But I think you might've beaten him to the punch uh, because I've seen Rob just recently starting to talk about the importance of, you know, good work for mental health uh, and getting off that individual focus um, of like being more reactive. So uh, uh, even though you started following him and maybe uh, had a bit of inspiration from him, I think you might've beaten him to (laughs) starting to think about the systemic drivers of mental health rather than the personal factors.
2: Yeah. And I think that's just um, because I've taken, I'm quite, Analytical, so because I'm looking at it all right a bit too anal- analytically how do to get my barriers down and mine was about the workplace. so that made me start critically looking at you know you know why you do certain things in in the workplace um, from you know, you know stigma purposes or why you wouldn't talk about certain mental health things and then that made me think, all right, what's the the management behavior that I might have expected? for that to occur even though i didn't cop that you know that type of um stigma or poor treatment by management um in any way at all but it made me think when i thought about the type of thing i was worried about i then can see that actual behaviors in different organizations and all that so um it's sort of yeah inspired by rob and then fell by accident into a an area where um, um there's a lot of lot of improvement um that can happen in in workplaces and there's you know lots of people doing great work in that in that space now of not just you know getting a wellbeing policy and putting it mm-hmm. up on the on the wall type stuff that actually trying to work out what does that mean in every workplace it's different everywhere yeah
1: yeah and this is what we're trying to get across to people too right you don't need to be a organizational psychologist um to be able to positively influence how work is designed for yourself or people that you work with um yeah. A lot of it's really common sense um, and I think as we talked through some of your posts that have resonated really well uh, with you know people on LinkedIn um, it's just good management practices really right like that's it at the end of the day
2: yeah it's not like working out the solutions not not the hard part it's a, the delivery delivering it genuinely you know some of the things I'll talk about aren't you know they're not groundbreaking stuff but if i don't actively think about it i can fall in the trap of not doing those exact same things myself even though i'm conscious of it um so that's been a good thing about posting is you know i use it sometimes as you know i don't say why i put a post up but it's a reminder for myself or i might have tripped up in something and i go All right i'll put a post up at some point about that that negative i've seen in the workplace and sometimes it's you know something that i've um, made a decision or implemented something and then you haven't seen an impact on someone, then you go, all right, that's that's something that needs to be, you know, a, a self-called out, but called out for other people to be um, mindful of issues.
1: Mm. Well, uh, Todd, we've had uh, a, a chat with you before this uh, this recording to identify some of your posts that I guess have done particularly well. Um, and the good thing is we, we can see there's a common theme around designing good work uh, that's good for people. So what we'd like to do is to explore uh, five of the more popular posts that you've done, uh, talk about the main message, and we'll we'll kind of think about why it might have resonated uh, with people.
0: All right. So the first one we're going to talk about is um, what makes employees stay. And so the image um, you shared for that was a a text-based image that says employees stay when they're paid well, mentored, challenged, promoted, Involved, appreciated, valued, empowered on a mission, and trusted. Um, So, what was the um, what 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 was the intent behind sharing that one?
2: Um, This one came out, and I should say, my posts come to me. I run at four thirty-five in the morning, and an idea will flash in my head. So, and sometimes it evolves on a run. Sometimes it sits there for a couple months, but. This one was during the, um, um, yeah, the employee crisis. You know, when anyone, you know, post-COVID couldn't get an employee. People were leaving. The Great Resignation was on, and we were having a conversation at work about, um, you know, the resignation. We were talking to our senior leadership team about some management roles were getting advertised, and they could couldn't get applicants. There was two applicants, and I'd just advertised a a role in my team and broke away from the. The corporate template of how we write the ads um it was, i think it was for a customer experience manager and just talked all about do they, are they passionate <clears throat> about people about their staff i put mental health into the ad because customer service staff you know are on the front line and cop it all the time so everyone knows what customer service is or customer experiences i didn't need to talk to those people in that sector about do you know how to you know do first call resolution or journey mapping they've they've got those skills so i talked in that senior leadership meeting, about hundred percent about you know talking to people and saying, do you want to come and work for us? You know, we value these things. And what I got a hundred applicants for a management job when we were getting you know three or four, and only two are any good for for other ones. And the difference to me was just I talked about how we did mental health. I'm passionate about it. I want someone who's passionate about it and is going to look after their team number one. And that's the biggest thing I I need was that that dynamic from a person so that's what prompted the, the thoughts and you know I was just scrolling through LinkedIn and it was an image one as ones you see shared around a, a thousand times I saw it about 10 different times in my feed in about two or three days and just shared it on and then did a couple of paragraphs of my own thoughts about why it's important and um, that one just went nuts probably right time right moment you never can quite tell why they go got nuts that one got about six million. Views. Um, but it was just right in that point when everyone was talking about, you know, great resignation and people were frustrated about getting called back into the office. Do they come back in? Not in. They're frustrated with employers who were thinking in the old way of thinking and it wasn't meeting with staff. And so, yeah, I just wanted to put out there that about if people will stay, they like, if they like a job, they'll stay. If they like the people, they stay. If they feel safe, they'll stay. You won't have a great resign. You'll lose some people always if they're talent, you know, and they get better opportunities. But if you've got a massive resignation on, then you've got a problem bigger than a great resignation out there. You've got something that's not making them want to stay.
0: Yeah, and so that that sort of really comes back to reframing the way that employers view their employees, and and um, I guess come some of that psychological contract. Um concept as well, around the um the non-transactional aspects of of the employment relationship. and what do you expect from your employees, you know, if you're wanting them to have things like loyalty and um, you know commitment and engagement with the work, and that sort of you know you want them to go above and beyond. Um, that needs to be reciprocated um from from. The side of the employer as well and so um yeah there's i think a lot of that um that change in um thinking or mindset um from the employer's perspective is still um continues to be a challenge um in some some areas more than others
2: yep yep um and also and is something my wife and i talk about regularly um i'm not a person that she's 100 percent trust people until you know i'm a no trust you prove you can do me wrong and you don't all right i start to trust you now that comes from that barriers approach so i sort of take that in as an employer we have to earn the trust of the employees that's not the standard you know we've got a you're still here today you know we pay their wages we've got a job you know like that they should be loyal but if we haven't actually done anything for them over and above a wage because you can get a wage anywhere you can get a Job anywhere. If you haven't done something extra, why should they be loyal and trusted? So we've got to be at the front and earn the, earn the trust because that's how I just personally see a trust working. I don't give it first. It might be a flaw in some people's minds, but I bring that in the workplace that I want to, like, even there in an advert, I'm going to say right up front, this is the commitment I'm making. And then hopefully I can deliver on most of it, um, if not all of it, but actually not just wait for loyalty to, to come to you and give people bonuses or use pay or reward structures to, to keep them there. Just I want people to want to to work in my team.
1: Yeah, yeah and, and there's some key things there, right, that we know um, from the work design literature um, are valued by people, right? So uh, beyond being just paid well, uh, which,
2: you know, it should work for a while. Yeah, yeah. That's
0: just the baseline, right?
2: Yeah, that's right. Until you put um, the credit card limit up to match it and then it's useless mm-hmm. again. Yeah, yeah. But that's, you know,
1: it comes under reward and recognition as well, right? You want to yep. feel like you're being adequately rewarded for the value that you're you're delivering to, to your em- employer. Um, but, you know, things like being mentored. Um, so that idea of, you know, getting support from colleagues or from a, a supervisor to help you to develop uh, personally. Um, people like challenge um, and, you know, people want a, a varying varying degrees of, uh, challenge, um, promoted. So that career progression, um, and that's something we've talked about before, particularly, um, with, it was Candace, when we're talking about technology, um, jobs, like a lot of them, there's not a clear kind of career trajectory, a developer, and you could be a developer for like 10 years, for instance. So, you know, people want to see that there's some sort of uh, progression in their jobs, um, you know, uh, of uh, being empowered so being able to i guess have autonomy to make decisions we know is is important for people's well-being as well and that that feeling of being trusted uh like you were talking about It's um, yep. trust goes both ways but can you as a manager earn the trust uh and give trust to to people to make the right choices
2: yep. Yep. yeah yeah
1: so I, I can see why it would resonate because uh, you know that that really is describing an, an optimal kind of uh working environment
2: yeah, what's interesting, obviously, that's the the most viral post I've I've had, um, but it was, think, like you said, well, it's probably the most simplest. It was just, you yeah, know, just staying, this is what employees like, and I don't think, it, like I said, there's nothing groundbreaking in any of that, but those things do drop off the radar for, or they get, not deliberately, but, you know, budget cuts or pressures or you know there's Mm. too much on it work, so the care drops and you know you forget about to recognize your people or have a simple morning tea to say well done on a project um over time if enough of those little drop-offs happen you can go from good to um to not so good in the eyes of your of your team so it's just yeah reminding that the simple things work sometimes not in every area but yeah
1: Hi listeners, Jason here. We hope you're enjoying this latest podcast episode. Now, if you're like Joelle, Alicia and myself and enjoy learning from the best, then the Flourish DX Academy is for you. The Academy includes free e-learning courses on the ISO 45003 standard for psychological health and safety at work and associated topics such as how to conduct a psychosocial risk assessment and how to create the business case for psych health and safety. All courses feature high-quality videos, downloadable resources, multi-choice questions, and a downloadable training certificate on completion. Take your learning to the next level with all FlourishDX Academy courses included within the FlourishDX mobile app. Select podcast episodes from the Psych Health and Safety podcast and sister podcasts from Canada and the USA are also included. Get started with FlourishDX for free at www.flourishdx.com forward slash get hyphen started. That's www.flourishtx.com forward slash get hyphen started. Now back to this episode. Yeah, and and most of those, like, sometimes we have clients who are worried about, oh, if we go down this process of psychosocial risk management, this sounds like it's going to be really costly to make these changes because we're talking about systemic changes. But a lot of it comes down to, you know, what the leader themselves can directly influence. And, And most of these things are things that the leader if they're aware of can can do something about without requiring any you know um budget or permission if you like yeah certainly don't need permission yeah (laughs) Yeah. um so look the one that really brought um your post to my attention actually was the next one we'll talk about um so i think we've been connected for a while but i saw this one just going nuts (laughs) soon after you posted it and it was definitely something topical at the time or something that we talked to regularly Um, so Basically, the again, like most of your uh, posts, it was a image with some text in it, and it said, when praying for that job, also pray for a working environment that won't lead you to burnout, depression, and regret, uh, which we thoroughly agree
2: with. But what was going through your mind when you decided to post that one? Um, this one came from a, a conversation with a, um, with a connection on LinkedIn. They sent me a message, and we'd chatted back and forth for a week or two. And they were in a difficult workplace that didn't have the best best culture, slightly damaging, and they were going, should I stay and advocate and do what you do to try and change the, jo- the joint or should I should I leave, which was a vexed question because if we all, you know, the post and the text sort of leads to if it's toxic, get out. But if everyone does that, then everything stays toxic. So it's not as needed that. So I was thinking about that for a... Um, a couple of weeks and then in the the text i put in the post which was the main idea i want to get across was about interviewing an employer so if you do choose to leave um, a toxic environment and, and I've, I've done that i've left environments that were great for my career but were damaging um to mental health and didn't see a path where it was going to improve in the short term um if you don't just want to leave and then go into the next one it's exactly the same and it probably be more damaging because you had hope and then it gets crushed so um you know i talked about in the post about having confidence to you know when they say you've got anything else to to question and this may go the wrong way and if you knuckle down pretty hard on some questions that aren't, have you got a well-being program but knuckle down to get to the nuts and bolts of what are they doing underneath that um having the, the guts to to ask that and I put in some signs of toxic culture in the post that I thought would show up in those those answers. Um, I did get lots of comments back from that and so people say oh you might not get the job if you ask like that and also like well if they are super touchy on those questions they probably aren't doing the the good the good things underneath so you know so nothing's nothing's perfect but it was about that dilemma of staying versus going and then how do you not just walk into the same thing in the the next Um, workplace which is very hard in an interview they're selling their best thing, so um, a lot of people use those questions at the end of an interview to try and go oh what makes me look best for the and if you ever do interviews you see oh they're they're trying to look like the best possible applicant talking about budget or i see your challenges in your strategic plan stuff that's all all well and good but if you want the workplace for you you need to ask some questions about yeah what's what's underneath the the hood, you know, is there just an "Are you okay?" day and some fruit in the kitchen, or is there an environment that that cares? So yeah, that was that one. What that was about?
1: Yeah, yeah I uh, I like that that idea of the reverse interview, right? You know, yeah, you know, uh, here's my three references. Can I have three uh, references, as in employees, that I can talk to about what it's like to work here? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that wouldn't go
2: c- down well in most places. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, unfortunately for Joelle, uh, there, was you didn't no, have <laughs> there was no three
0: ways for me to talk to. <laughs> there was
1: only developers, and they couldn't talk yeah, too much. No. Uh, you're the first psychiatrist. Not,
0: not um, the most articulative.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, unfortunately, that doesn't go too far when you're the first
0: psychiatrist. No.
1: Mm. Right, it was a good pitch.
0: <laughs> it was a pitch. It wasn't an interview. Oh. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, and look, I think the, the I guess the other side to that is you know, oh well, you might not get the job if they if you're asking those questions. um you know, if you're in a position where you're desperate for any job, um, then that's probably a a valid concern and and something yeah. that you might want to temper um yeah. how far you go with those with that questioning. but um, if you know, if you're in a position where you're just looking for something better than than where you currently are, then you don't want to get that job. Um, if it's if it's going to be damaging to your mental health. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's, you know, you can consider that as a bullet dodged potentially.
2: Yeah, and I do get lots of now that posts are getting more popular. People, you know, send messages about their particular situation. And I explain that a lot of my posts are at the edge to spark debate and you know and always you know make sure that you look after yourself and your family first your income and if you have to tough it out then you know i'm not a fan of resilience programs from employers sort of thing but if you're in a tough spot and that's your only job that's your income and you need that level then you work on those those tips but then work out in your as you get safer and safer with your basic needs you can then start bringing you know bringing these ideas in either to challenge your employer um Mm. or to to be on the scout for what to look for when you're heading to a new employer. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, all right, so, so the next one that we're going to talk about is the 10 phrases that great leaders say. Um, and so those 10 phrases are thank you, I don't know, don't worry, how can I help, great work, I made a mistake, what do you think, you did a great job, how can we improve, and we are lucky to have you.
1: Have you Um, heard any of those before?
0: I often hear you say, don't worry.
1: (laughs) You definitely haven't heard me say number six.
0: Number six. I made a mistake. That's true. That's true. Um, I think I've probably heard most of those from you, Jason. Oh, that's good. (laughs) Um, So tell us, uh, where did this one come from?
2: This. This came about this is one of the ones from memory came on a on a jog um, I'd seen a post similar post on LinkedIn a couple of months before with ten different things and um, you know I saved that image on my phone and then for I was thinking about my own own list um, and I was on on a jog and um, I had a family member that had had a um, an illness and my general manager went out of the way to give a heard about it, gave a buzz on the weekend to touch base and all that. So it hasn't got any of those phrases in there, but just reached out. It just started making brought me back to that that post of, you know, what is a what is a leader? Um and it was mainly to convey that it's not a great manager. Um, it's not about people who, you know, get the project done on budget, you know, get us the most bonuses, give us the most pay. It's about those connection things and the things that jumped out in my mind that I wanted to emphasize were you know communication and confidence and how saying I don't know can actually give confidence to your team um if you know if you're in a challenging situation where you genuinely don't know um well I find it this way sometimes it's a bit comforting for the boss to go yeah I don't don't know either. Yeah, you're following with some other stuff. What do we do about it? Let's look at things. But some of those vulnerable statements of I don't know or I made a mistake or, you know, those sort of things can be the most um, elements where you build trust. Um, you see your, you know, your boss be vulnerable and you connect as a real person. Um, it was interesting, this post is one of the ones I got the most negative comments on, probably from possibly managers who manage in a certain style going, you know, that's a you know, rubbish list. Why should I say those things? Why should I concede to an employee when I'm wrong? And it's sort of stuff like, I sort of make a practice, try not to engage with the, the comments. <laughs> a, I don't, that's 99% positive, but it's I just do it to spark debate and have a think about it. And main reason being is I don't know anything about someone's workplace. I'm not an expert. I'm not going to comment on how they manage yeah, or anything like that. I'm not going to try and correct anyone about anything. So, I always try and avoid the comments other than trying to say thank you. I used to try and say thank you on every comment, but that's got a bit silly now with some of them. Yeah, if you get a thousand comments on this, So, I've had to give up on that, that routine. But that one was just, yeah, it came about wanting to, you know, without actually saying it, that I had a, or still have a, a great general manager. Um it just made me think about what I like to see in a in a leader. And yeah, you know, you'll see a hundred posts a day almost about that on LinkedIn and different things where people chat about leadership and and that. So I think it's just that one took off because yeah, the the words felt real, I guess, and connected with with people. One thing I sort of think I still sort of I sort of think like an employee, not a manager. So I'm like tier three in my organisation in the senior leadership team and but I see myself as a not an antagonist to management but I question just standard management decisions you know and standard approaches and, and all that and push back on that sort of stuff so whether that's a you know, a layover from being the rambunctious rebellious teenager that 30 years later haven't got rid of or whether it's you know, that employee mindset but just trying to go all right let's not accept how we are, That's that's try and redesign. So, yeah, that one was a bit of a homage to my boss. Well,
0: that's nice. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> one day you'll write a homage to me, Joel.
0: Seems unlikely.
2: <laughs> I didn't tag my boss in it. So, <laughs> <laughs> just anytime I, didn't I want post to put...
0: anything about good leadership, now Jason's going to be there in the comments saying so thank just you, Joel, for this thank homage you. to me.
2: That's one way to do it. Just always say thank you to every. <laughs> Everybody, Jason will just, talking about yeah,
0: me. Any, yeah, anything positive that I ever write, Jason will be like, thank you.
1: Yeah, I, I don't mind uh, people critiquing or challenging um, anything I post, but, you know, if they're not actually moving the forward, the conversation forward constructively, it's a yeah. block and delete for me. So I don't I don't want to engage with those people. I can go yeah. and engage with others.
2: Yeah, it's good. I, like, yeah. Debate's good. Like oh, I put it out yeah. there and there's some regular people who connect on my posts a lot and look at it in different angles and it's particularly valuable because you look at an angle even on my post and oh, i didn't actually think of that and so it's something else i can put in my toolkit so all that stuff's good different viewpoints all that sort of stuff except yeah if someone's toxic yeah see you later yeah, yeah, yeah. i don't like i
1: don't like arguing with stupid they always beat me with experience um <laughs> so look uh the next post you had was around finding joy meaning and purpose at work so yep. the post again is a text one. um surprise surprise it says a good salary can motivate you every payday um so that's fortnightly for us but a good work culture and sense of purpose can motivate you every day um that one did quite well as well right um
2: yes yeah, okay. half a million
1: views yeah. yeah so um Why do you? First of all, again, what was going through your head when you you posted this one? And then secondly, I guess, you know, why do you think it resonated
2: so well with people? I know, this one, I know exactly what was going through my head. And it's probably the longest, because, you know, I put up an image with some text. It's Mm. probably the longest of actual text behind it. The story is probably, yeah, six or seven paragraphs. I was in contract renegotiation. So all the things flowing through my mind, you know, when you're doing a, because, you know, I'm on a term contract and we roll over type being in senior leadership. All the things, you know, your challenge, is this what I'm looking for and all that sort of stuff? Because really when the offer comes and local government's not that sophisticated, here's the offer, here's the money, that sort of stuff. So the contract itself isn't complex. But, you know, I took a month or two and you know, to make my decision on it because I'm thinking about, you know, environment and workplace and can I keep um you know i'm not in the human resources space but can i keep making an impact here and so i've moved from happy outlier um, when i started here five years ago i was the guy talking about mental health and well-being but not in that space and it was um yeah that's that's just todd todd talks about that and then influence it and then programs have happened and um i get called in to um managers ask me questions on how to help with issues on like that I try and redirect them back to HR but so moved from a influence to actually really shaking the organisation and so yeah my motivation was what actually brings me joy and purpose at work and I was challenging myself in the sense that doing governance doing legal stuff doing politics stuff wasn't why I wanted to work here at Wollongong Council and renew my contract, I love doing that stuff, I'm good at that stuff, but the fact we've got a long way to go, but we're having momentum in this space, trying to look at how we look after employees, You know how we look at different elements of that, how we design workplaces, work jobs, all that sort of stuff that's starting to be a bit more sophisticated thinking. We haven't built our solutions yet, but the thinking's started, so being in an environment where that thinking is happening and we're challenging ourselves to, to look at work and actually you know, how we design work, um, and thinking about when we put something in, what's the impact on the employee, not for their job, but for the employee, so that that thinking started. So that's what was in my mind when I talked about that that post, because um, you know, I'd, you know, have corporate opportunities that I could pursue if I wanted. Wanted to so a the draw of public service. We talked about public servants before. I love that stuff. But then being in a public service organisation where I can help people who are also public servants is what kept me. So then there was a rather long-winded post with lots of text in there about you know what I think employees are looking for, what creates connection to to workplace, what makes you feel like you you know you belong, and talk about flexibility and all that sort of stuff. So it was more an expanded post on that. one we talked about, you know, when praying for stuff in the workplace, it was sort of an expanded thought, and I think it was a couple of months on from that one, so it's just an evolution of the thinking in my own mind, sort of stuff. But yeah, so contract mm. negotiations can spark, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's occasionally. I did resign and stay, so I should, yeah, we well, cl- gave cl- you that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, clearly. Um, the yeah, it, it really it does make a lot
1: of sense, though, and, and something that I've written about previously or spoken about before which is i guess you know, up until about 10 years ago or maybe even five years ago people were looking for good work-life balance like i'll work hard but then i want a good recovery period or i want to enjoy myself on my time off yeah. uh, i think more and more workers are actually looking for the work the time they spend at work to actually be meaningful and feel like actually i am providing value i'm not just going there to punch in and out um And then my life starts after I finish work. It's more, yeah. if I'm going to be spending so much of my life at work, then, you know, it, it needs to be valuable time. And it's more yeah. so than, it's not just about getting the paycheck so I can enjoy my life outside of work. So I think, yeah, I, I can see why that would resonate so strongly. Um, That
0: reminds me of the, so if, Listeners who have watched Parks and Recreation, um, the difference between the Leslie Nope character and the Jerry Gergich character, um, in terms of how they derive meaning from the work that they do. And for Leslie, it's about being the public servant and what she can give to the community and, um, what she wants to be able to achieve, um, in her career that way. And for Jerry, it's about that his work enables him to be able to provide for his family and have a vacation with them every year and be home for dinner every night and all of that sort of thing. So we've kind of got these two um opposite sides of the coin in terms of meaningfulness from yeah. work and i think a lot of the time we really focus on the Leslie side of the meaningfulness and we forget to think about the jerry side yeah. of the meaningfulness but it's um an important um distinction to remember.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah that is true because the first thing i did look at in contract was the dollars so we can't discount mm. <laughs> discount that yep. it's all important yeah <laughs>
0: it is Um, All right so the last one that we're going to talk about today is a um, more of a visual one um, and it's the impact of back-to-back meetings on brain function um, showing the ECG um, monitoring over a four meeting period. So tell us about that one.
2: Um, So this is my favourite post or this is the post I most wanted to go viral. It's you know had like 250,000 views which is good so lots of impact lots of people saw it but this is the one if I could pick for six, for 6 million people to see mm-hmm. this would have been a bit of proof you can't always pick it um, this one was just about um, some research um, Microsoft did about and it was mainly teams meetings the back-to-back going from one to another and like you said they put SCG monitors on and mentioned uh, and measured people's stress and brain activity and all that from back to backs and it it showed really well what a lot of us feel, you know, during COVID and we were back to back meetings, you seem more tired at five o'clock than you did, even if you had back to back meetings in the office previously. The back to back meetings isn't new, but particularly that Zoom element. Um and it and it showed the signi- if you didn't have a break, the significant amount of stress on the brain, the lack of the drop in brain function and productivity and all that. So um that was just research that really you know struck a chord with me um in our teams we've been setting our meetings to start five minutes past the hour and end five minutes 40 hour that sort of stuff to try and get breaks so we were exploring in this space um anyway and then saw this research and wanted to share it out there to say that there is actually an impact of having back-to-back meetings um and try and get that That message out there of um, having the 10 minutes in between and also um, I re put up a similar sort of post a couple of months later but to talk about you know to take the same research and talk about it from an introvert's perspective they need the 10 minutes sometimes just to go and whatever it is that re-centers them stare at the wall not talk it to anyone but for everyone else going to get a cup of coffee you come back and you're more productive in the meetings you talk more um, so significant more value from the meeting so this one's probably the most Science-based ones are genuinely trying to get workplaces to stop having back-to-back meetings. You know, it's—I um, put it in the post—it's just a, a stupid idea. I did cop some criticism from some people for using the word "stupid," so um, I was trying to demonstrate at a point out there. So, language probably not—not not the greatest, but it is in our benefit not to have back-to-back meetings. Like we try here to—to to do that. You know, I block out every lunch break for a mental health walk one of the challenges that grapples with here the senior staff can't find a gap for a meeting and 12 o'clock you know goes there's that meeting and it's with the the tiers above you um do you push back and go that's my lunch break i don't know if i'm at that stage in life yet of telling the general manager but um and we talk regularly about these type of things so um if he listens in um get ready for it greg i'm trying to work up to the the spot where I go. All right, you want me at lunchtime? We're walking. Let's go outside. I was going to walk, so you're coming with me. Or so. Um, so it was just about yeah, putting out there that what we already knew. If you have back-to-back meetings, it just feels horrible. But there actually is science to say it is horrible, and yeah, we don't have good meetings. That was a very rambly answer, but anyway, that's
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, seems like something that um, a technology solution could help with, like from a microsoft or whoever you're
1: oh i like actually um i have noticed that in microsoft bookings you can put in like a space in between meetings so like you've got like protected space so people can't just book back to back remind me to turn that on because yeah to for- share my calendar booking uh, regularly and you know, i get yeah people go oh there's a gap in there i'm gonna put it in there and then
0: i'm like oh great yeah that's why i've put um blocks in for me to have a lunch break as well yeah um yeah because yeah. People are booking from the public calendar. They yep. just look for a time that a matches, especially with time zones and stuff as well. You'll get somebody who ha- it doesn't even realise they're booking at your lunch time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No good to use that. Um, yeah, no, I I definitely feel better after having a, a break uh, in between meetings. Um, we, I remember talking to Cat Page about that as well, mm. not necessarily related to back-to-back meetings, but just that, that what you call it, the third space or – you know, so you got work, you got home, and then you just need that kind of that time to turn off and you know defrag your brain a little bit uh, before yep. you know engaging. So whether that's going from work to family or vice versa, or you know going from meeting to meeting, you know it's you know breaks are good to kind of reset. Um, I guess all of your your stress hormones uh, within your body.
2: Yep. Yeah. One one tip for we've been using settings, and you can put a default that it starts at five minutes early or you yeah. know, five minutes late, um, finishing them five minutes early doesn't tend to work. If you make it 11 to 11.25, the talkers will just take you to 11.30, yeah. so we're shifting now and starting them at like 11.05, and you genuinely get that five minutes. Yeah. The five mm-hmm. minutes at the end, that's a fallacy. You'll never, you'll never get that unless there's five introverts in the room, but the talkers will take that space because it's there because they're not busy to 11.30, so they'll take it. So starting meetings later or at a weird time, yeah, creates a block that no one will come and take your 12 and 12 to 12 10 break from you so just yeah <laughs> weird timings and it self-protects that uh, yeah
0: someone out there is going challenge accepted yeah yeah, yeah
2: 12, i'll get a 10 minute invite right. yeah
1: <laughs> nice one well todd um it's been uh fun chatting through some of these things um uh, obviously you found yourself in this this role of mental health advocate and we love you know the focus of your advocacy which is around making work good for people uh versus you know just focusing on individuals and symptoms which um you know many people many people do so i guess um you know big picture thinking now what are your hopes for the future of workplace
2: mental health um if we're going really blue sky thinking that we don't have workplace mental health it's just health sick leave you know if someone breaks a leg on the weekend, it's just, you know, you get on with it, they've got a broken leg and you know what's happening. It's just part of normal conversation. You know, that's that's a, a fair way off. And that's about, you know, people's individual um, reactions. But how we design our workplaces and how we design our policies and how we react um, to things can speed up that in any given workplace to get to that scenario where it's just, just normal, you know, and some organisations have specifically go out of their way to have mental health policies and such, and you don't have to tell us why, if you need a DUNA day, you know, that type of thing to try and, you know, you always could have a DUNA day, you just didn't have to tell your boss what it was, but to try and make it normal in in conversation. So I think that's the end state we want to get us to, the difference between someone, um, you know, having a mental health challenge that might come up and down up and down and you know they work through it all their life is no different it has someone has a recurrent illness but we treat them very differently mm-hmm. in, in workplaces and like structurally there's some things we need to do we have sick leave policies that are aimed at incident recovery to a certain point and it may not be full recovery if it's a workplace injury then you get alternate duties but it's about recovery in here it's not about you have a life cycle so particularly in um, public service organisations where we've got very strict policies and, and rigid things, the designing, you know, how we handle mental health in a policy setting to allow for the fact that it may not be a recovery model. People go up and down, they may go through challenges for life. Um, you know, how do we actually deal with those from a, from a policy setting? Um, and what's going to be hard, particularly in public organisations, is the key is going to be less policy less prescription more flexibility autonomy for managers to deal with it and you know work with their employees for an individual solution so um so in my area like we're very traditional very policy based so that could be a hard a hard part but prescription's not the answer to us working with mental health and making you know mental health um, workplaces you know safer it's about you know individuals yeah, you know, every individual is different. So we've got to be able to, you know, design a workplace that works for the individual. So you can't do that from HR, you can't do that from head office or from the C suite down. That's the, the one and two up mm. can have the most impact on their work environment and their workplace. That's where the on the on the run design as such has got to happen. That's where the real success will be in my mind.
1: Yeah. Uh, lots of work to do, but I uh, concur with your thoughts about that being like the gold standard. If we can get, you know, leaders more capable of making those decisions closer to where the employee is and yep. you know, their their quality of work, um, that's where I think we'll make their greatest gains. But we've got a long yeah. long road ahead of us.
0: Mm. Um, and do you have any words of advice for listeners who would like to advocate for workplace mental health?
2: Um I've been asked this before, a lot of people on LinkedIn will send a message, how can I advocate in my um, workplace? Um, just find your own voice and why it's important to you. So if you know why, why do you want to advocate for it? Um, that'll often tell you the, the avenue um, to lobby in. So I wanted, you know, I spoke about my journey before, about how I interacted with my workplace and had mental health issues with Management didn't want to fully disclose, you know, through trust issues and all that. So that's when, all right, I've got to start, you know, advocating in that that work management space. So in professional associations at our conferences and, you know, in a professional setting at work. Um, but the important thing is to start with don't copy some of the people on LinkedIn, me included, that go, oh, vulnerabilities good. Yeah, vulnerabilities, okay if you're safe in a good spot you know if you're vulnerable it comes with issues so using vulnerability as an advocacy approach has worked for a lot of people but it's not a um something you shouldn't walk into lightly because a people will talk to you about what you're going through and you may not be ready for that but more importantly they'll come and talk to you about what they're going through too so you've got to be ready for for Mm -hmm. that element of it so the biggest point for me is advocate about what you're passionate about in the forum where you want to make that change, but always think of your personal safety. So if you think management's not ready for it, talk to colleagues, try and get groundswell going more than going head on at management. Cause we've said a couple of times, you know, your safety, your income, your mental health are the bench, yeah, you know, the bedrock for you to go on. And then when it's safe, find ways to to go out go out from there. So yeah. Good advice. Thank you,
0: Todd.
2: Well, Todd, um,
1: it's, it has been fun uh, talking to you. I was hoping it would be a, a fun episode. So um, uh, we'll definitely uh, put some links out to some of these posts uh, as part of the, the show notes so our listeners can check out what we've been talking about. Um, but uh, I, I'm assuming that people can reach out to you on LinkedIn if they're interested in continuing the conversation.
2: Yeah, certainly. Reach out and, and have a chat. We've sat said a couple of times. Just a happy observer at life. I'm not an expert. so. <laughs> I can agree with you about the problems, but solutions, are a bit harder, but we can bash those into shape. Yeah, yeah nice one. Well, Todd, um, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Okay, listeners, that brings us to the end of this episode. Remember, uh, we do record these when we have uh, the conversations with our guests like Todd, so you can catch these videos on the DX YouTube channel. Uh, you'll also find some of the the best bits uh, from uh, the conversations that we have on the DX LinkedIn page. Uh, while you're on LinkedIn, obviously, you'll find Todd over there and Joelle and myself frequent there, probably more than what we should. Uh, so feel free to reach out to us too if you want to continue the conversation. Uh, but that's it for today. We'll catch you next episode.
0: You've been listening to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. To stay up to date with the latest on psychological injury prevention, follow FlourishDX on LinkedIn and subscribe to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast at www.psychhealthandsafety.com.